So I have a question, but in order to do that, I need everyone to sit down. Okay, if you are a high school leader, please stand up. High school leaders, please stand up. Please stand up. Please stand up. All high school leaders. Okay. Now, if you did not go to impact at all, ever, when you were a teenager, please sit down. Okay. Yes, as a leader. Yep. Okay. Now look around. See how the majority of people that are standing were once in impact. Okay, you guys can sit down now. That is to prove a point. That there were people, myself included, whose lives were so changed or impacted when we were teenagers by this youth ministry that we've wanted to give back. And that's essentially why they're here. You know, like, I'm a pastor at the church. It's my job to be here, partly. Not, that's not why I'm doing it. But I was a youth leader. I was a volunteer for five years before I was hired by the church. And these people, they are not necessarily paid to be here. They're here because they believe that by investing in you guys, your lives can be changed too. And some of the people, if you heard their stories, you heard their testimonies, you'd be like, wow, you used to struggle with that? That's crazy because you seem perfect on the outside. But actually, yeah, all of us have different struggles and we have different things that we've gone through in our lives. But Jesus is greater than any one of our struggles. And we believe that so much that we believe that God wants to do that in your life too. If you would just open up your Bible, you would spend time with Jesus, you would pray to him, and that you would ask him to come into your life, that some powerful things can happen. I love how uh, in the song they were singing, uh, it's, this, it's um, Psalm 23, and there's that one line about, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that's how God's love is. It chases after you. It pursues you. Because that's what God, God has done ever since the beginning of time. He's always been the pursuer. And we just respond. So hopefully, in tonight's message, that you will respond too. Tonight, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be finishing this summer the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're brand new to Impact, either just you started coming to this church, or you're a freshman in, in high school now, we're going to be finishing out the Sermon on the Mount. We have a series that we're calling The Real Ideal. Jesus shows us what people that are disciples or followers of him look like, what the characteristics should look like if you're a follower of Jesus. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will hand it out to you. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 this evening. But I want to point out that the message tonight may not be one of those messages that you're like, yes, I'm going to live life differently because of what I learned. Hopefully, maybe you will. But it's one of those messages that all of us, if we miss this, we could be part of the problem as to why people don't come to church. So tonight, we're going to talk about maybe the most well-known verse by people that are not Christians. The judge not verse. Don't judge me verse. Okay, so the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is Judge-Mentality. Judge-Mentality. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. We'll read the passage, we'll pray, and we'll talk about it. Jesus says to his followers, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will, be, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that tonight that we would take these things to heart, that we would have that, um, that prayer for you to search us, to know us, to try us, to see if there's any wicked way in us. You will reveal it to us so that we are able to clearly help those who are struggling. And so we thank you, Lord, for this evening. Pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Christians can be known for being judgmental. They can be known as people that look at everybody else in the world, and all they talk about is all the things that you're doing wrong. Everybody hates those people, right? And you see this, right? You see the people with the signs, repent. You see the people picketing. You see the people preaching with the bullhorns. And that's how the world often views Christians. You're one of those crazy people that all they do is they think they're better than everybody else. But then the world calls out the church's hypocrisy because there's sex scandals and fraud and people making money and all this kinds of crazy stuff. And so the world's kind of just like, you guys are hypocrites. You can't tell that there's a plank in your own eye, and you're trying to get rid of the world's speck. So this is where a lot of people feel like, listen, who are you to judge me? Didn't Jesus say, say not to judge me? Not to judge others? But you see, that's not the point. Jesus is showing us how to correctly judge other people so that we can help people. It's very important that we know this, okay? A lot of people shrink from any kind of confrontation. And this is like one of the most unhealthy things you can do as a human being, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. One of the most unhealthy things you can do is not talk about problems. This is what leads to the Me Too movement. This is what leads to rape culture. This is what leads to, you know what, I just, ah, I don't know. They're like, they're like the boss. They're in charge. They're in authority. And like, we don't want to bring it up, even though we know he's doing bad things. He's stealing money. He's doing whatever. People, people say, well, like, who am I? It's not my position to call him out. I don't want to be a tattletale. I don't want to judge. And listen, when you refuse to hold people accountable, more and more people will be hurt. Really, what happens is, oftentimes, we don't hold people accountable. We don't talk about the issues because we love ourselves, and we're terrified of what people will say, what people will think. Now, listen, there is legitimate fear to people that are oppressed, people that almost create a culture where you're not allowed to say anything, you're silenced. That is a real thing for sure. And that's why it's even more important to, despite the fear that you have, despite the shame that might come upon you, that you say something. Now, that's true in wicked cultures and terrible people that are in authority or whatever. Uh, you have the minorities always raging against the machine. You have all these, those different scenarios. How much more important a Christian brother or sister that you say that you love 
when they're doing something that you're like, you know what, I don't think that was right. I think that was wrong. For us to not bring that up is to be unloving. Here's a really practical, silly example. Everybody knows that when somebody's breath stinks, nobody loves that, right? If you smell bad, your breath, you didn't shower, that makes everybody irritated. And everybody's kind of like, I'm going to stay away from that person. But there are few select people that will actually say something about it. Unless you're like a sixth grader in junior high, you know? Sixth graders are like, you smell bad. Like, that's fine. High schoolers, they won't say a word. Like, yeah. And they, they talk about it behind your back. Like, oh, man, someone. And you'll like sit down. You're like, someone needs to tell this person. They need to learn how to use deodorant, right? And we'll just like, but you just can't. You can't be that one person who does it. I remember, I've shared this story before, but one of my close friends, while we were um, right out of high school, I remember he was picking me up. We were going to drive somewhere. I get in his car, and the car smells terrible, like so bad, right? And so I, like, I can hardly breathe. I want to roll down the window, you know? And he says to me, the first thing he says is this, you know what's so crazy? I haven't showered in a week, and I don't smell bad. <laughs> I was very young and immature. I didn't say anything. But listen, it's a lesson learned for me. You tell him he smells and love, right? So here's the thing. I think that's a good illustration because of this. We often can't see our own sin. We can't see our own faults. We need other people to point out the speck in our eye. We need other people to lovingly tell us when we've caused harm, done wrong, said things inappropriately, posted things that we shouldn't have posted. We need that, right? Why? Because we say that we're followers of Jesus. We want to be sanctified, which is a fancy word for being set apart. We want to be more and more like our king, our creator, the one who is the ruler of the universe, the one who loved us so much, loved an evil and rotten world that he died on the cross for our sins. We want to be like that. We're inspired, by, we're inspired by Jesus, who is the hero of humanity. And we say, I want to be like that. So since we call ourselves followers of Jesus, should we not want to rid ourselves of things that are hurtful to other people? If we see Jesus loving others, we say, we want to be loving. So therefore, what do we have to do? Get rid of the things that are unloving. Well, in order to do that, we need each other to show us kindly where the speck is. Okay, but here's the problem. As we try to help each other out with our specs, what happens is a lot of people, instead of gently, lovingly, warmly telling another person, hey, listen, this is what you did wrong, nobody really knows how to do that, and so we just offend everybody. It's very hard to master the skill of being able to confront somebody in love, show them that you love them, but also that you dis disagree with them. That's something our culture has not figured out at all. That's why people think that the church hates gay people. That's why the people, uh, people think that Christians hate everybody else. This is why it's because people don't know that you can love somebody and still disagree with them. Your parents can love you and disagree with the fact that you want to go out all night and eat candy, right? Like, you don't love me because you won't let me eat candy all night. Like, you know, I love you too much to let you just eat candy all night. Because I know you're going to puke in my car, and that will not be fun, right? And some of your parents love you so much that, like, you can puke in the car, and they're not mad. I would be mad. You puke in my car, I am mad at you. Just kidding. 
You can peek in my car if you want. So how do we go about this the right way? How do we love people and tell them that they're wrong? Well, here's the first point. This is how you do it. Number one, examine yourself before you judge others. Examine yourself before you judge others. This is the first way, okay? And this is what you see in verse one. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So why do you look at the speck in the brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the way that you treat others, you judge others, you measure other people's sin, that same measurement will be turned on you. So first, ask yourself, do I have a plank in my eye? Is there something wrong with me before I go and talk to somebody else? This is so important because so often we are immediately going to confrontation mode. Let me talk to that person about everything they've done wrong. And then they're like, you're a hypocrite because you did that last week. Hey, what about these five things? You're like, oh, snap, you're right. So to sit before the Lord and say, God, is there anything I've done in this area that displeases you? Listen, if you're not aware of your own humanity and fallenness and sinfulness, none of us have a right to ever confront somebody. If you think that you're beyond the sin that you're confronting, you have no business confronting somebody else on that sin. You'll never do it with the spirit of gentleness. You'll never do it with a loving heart because you think, like, how in the world could you do that? That's so messed up. But when you understand your own frailty and brokenness, your own humanity, if not for the grace of God, there go I, if you don't understand that, you're going to judge everybody wrongly. So what you got to do is first ask yourself, Lord, are there things inside of me? And if not, help me to understand that this person I'm talking to about whatever it is, I might do that in the future. And depending on how bad it is, maybe I wouldn't do that particular thing, but I have the propensity. I have everything in place in my heart to do the exact same thing. This is why Jesus said a couple passages before, he said, you think that you're, you're like off the hook because you've never killed somebody before? But watch out. When you have anger in your heart towards somebody else, contempt in your heart, you've already murdered that person in your heart. He wasn't saying that's the same thing like, oh, well, I might as well just go all the way because I, I already killed the person in my heart. What he's saying is the root is there. And unless you address that, what makes you think that you're any better than that person who's actually took part in that action? So examine yourself before you're ready to judge somebody else. So when he's talking about judgment, what he's not talking about is final destination. What he's talking about is action. We're looking at not whether or not these people are going to heaven or hell. Only God knows that. We're looking at the person saying, that person has done wrong. That act was wrong. Not the person was wrong in particular. So, the second thing is found in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus is saying, before you look at the speck, the first thing you got to do is remove your plank. So I'm going to, at this point, ask for a volunteer. Where's Andrew? 
Andrew Ignara. Come on up. I know Andrew will let me use him for ex example. Give me a little grace here because I never use object lessons ever. All right. So when I was in eighth grade, I was at a different youth group. Youth pastor used a similar example to this. It always stuck with me, and that's why I'm doing it. Because I'm like, I'm not like an object lesson person because it kind of can be like a little cheesy. But um, here we go. So here's the whole point. Let's say I love Andrew, right? But I got a plank in my eye. <laughs> right? Andrew, you have a speck. Let me take care of that for you, buddy. Let me, let me grab that speck from your eye. It's kind of impossible. If I have a plank in my eye, I can never get close enough to help Andrew, right? So what is the plank? Is the plank maybe the exact same sin? And I'm telling Andrew, hey, man, you gossiped, right? And then, like, I gossiped yesterday? No, actually, this is what the plank is. The plank is condemnation. That's why it injures people. So I'm saying, Andrew, you're stupid. You're worthless. How could you gossip? Aren't you a Christian? Right? That's what it is. Thank you, Andrew. Everyone give Andrew a round of applause. See, you'll never forget that. The point is, within the context, not just that you've done the exact same sin, because sometimes that w that's exactly what you think. Well, I don't care if God judges me with that, that standard, because I've never done that before. I've never sinned in that regard. I've never, never struggled in that area. So therefore, I can confront this person and let them know what a terrible person they are. It's condemnation that's the plank. The whole point is this. You can never help somebody with a speck if you're injuring them with your plank. You can never help somebody if that's the goal, sanctification. If our goal is to love that person and see them not go down the road and have the speck turn into a plank, then what we have to do is not go into it with condemnation, telling people you are worthless, you are unlovable, you're never going to learn, you're never going to change. That is condemnation. So your second point is this. Condemnation keeps others from sanctification. Condemnation keeps others from sanctification. How is it possible to see, a, to see a speck through a plank? It's impossible. So what we need to do is this. We need to remove the plank of condemnation first before we go and address the speck. This is what Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we're going into it not with condemnation, not saying you're a terrible person, you're never going to change, you're worthless, you're unlovable, whatever. We're going into it saying, man, is that in my heart? Because sometimes you come into it with anger. I'm righteous. I'm right. They're wrong. I'm going to tell them off. And you're going to watch that and say, like, man, is that in my heart? Where did that come from? It comes from Satan. That's where it comes from. Satan is the accuser. It's Satan who condemns. The difference between condemnation and, and conviction is this. Condemnation says the action is wrong. Sorry, I, I reversed that. Don't take that as a note. That was wrong. Condemnation says that you are wrong as a person. 
Conviction says that the action was wrong. And it's two different motives. The Holy Spirit convicts so that you know who you really are. What are you doing? That's not who you are. Why are you getting drunk? That's not who you're supposed to be. Whereas condemnation says, of course, you are a drunk. And you're going to continue to drink because your father was a drunk and your grandfather was a drunk and all of you were a drunk and you're always going to be worthless. That's condemnation. It's making you feel more guilty than you ought. But we realize the Bible says this. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Have you ever thought about that? It doesn't say the wrath of God. It doesn't say the anger of God leads us to repentance. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Can you honestly say when you address sin in somebody else's life that you go into it saying, Lord, help me by the end of this conver conversation to show your goodness and your kindness. If you just have that in the back of your mind, imagine how different conversations will be. That you end conversations not by saying, I want you to think about how terrible of a person you are. But you end it with, you know what? But isn't it true that God is so gracious and he's so good? Despite the fact that we all make mistakes, you make a mistake, I make a mistake, we all make, make mistakes. But Jesus is so loving that despite our mistakes, he died on the cross for our sins. And like that does not disqualify us from how he's going to use us in the future. Isn't that awesome? Like go into, go into conversations with that in mind because condemnation keeps others from sanctification. It'd be impossible to address a speck that's in Andrew's eye if all I was doing was whacking him with a plank that was in mine. Number three is found in verse six. Verse six says this. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So this is a verse that's often used in evangelism. And so sort of the context here, to make a little bit of a shift, is the dogs and the swine were people that were not, according to the people of Israel, these are people on the outside. And so it was kind of like, use the gospel for the purpose it was given. And if there are people that have hardened hearts towards the gospel, don't waste your time trying to convince those people and don't waste your time trying to convert people that are completely hardened to the gospel and, and whatever. So the example would be like, and this has happened a billion times, but I remember going over in England or even a couple weeks ago, you're talking to, maybe you're evangelizing somebody and you realize you're not getting anywhere. You're just arguing and arguing and arguing for an hour in a circle and they're like backing up everything you're saying. They're not listening. You're just getting mad and getting heated. And so this would be a verse that applies to that. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Are you calling me a pig? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's just saying, essentially, here's the point. Pigs could care less about pearls. They do nothing with pearls. Same thing with dogs. Dogs, puppies, they're cute. If you give them a pearl necklace, he doesn't care. I hate to break it to you, but you know how you, like, love to dress up your dogs in, like, these cute little outfits? They could care less. They have no appreciation for it. Human beings have appreciation for it. So the larger principle, even beyond sharing of the gospel, is this. Don't condemn the inconvincible. Don't condemn the inconvincible. So going back to what we're saying, even beyond just sharing and evangelizing, but just confronting people in their sin, the most important thing we can remember is when a person is not convinced that they are in the wrong, don't suddenly switch over to condemnation. 
Well, I need to show them that they're really a bad person because they're not getting it. What they did was really messed up. How they hurt me was really messed up. So I'm going to make them sorry that they ever did that. That's taking vengeance into your own hands. It's not our job to condemn. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict, and we are to represent God in the way that we address people in their sin. So I'd ask you that. I would ask you that very simply. Do you have a propensity when the heat is turned up, when you're stuck in an argument, to suddenly switch over to condemnation? Instead of making it about the argument, you make it about the person. Instead of addressing the sin involved, now you're turning over and saying like, and you never listened to me. And you've always been this way. Right? That happens sometimes. And you just got to watch it. We all do it. But that's why we've come here today. Not because we're perfect. Not because I'm perfect. I make mistakes, for sure. But as a community of God, we're coming together to remind ourselves, this is what the Bible says. I didn't plan on teaching this message this night. Not necessarily the best night to do it in my life. But guess what? God's timing is perfect. And this might be a message for you tonight. And so maybe you're one of those people that's just like blocking you out. Like, not going to think about this. Not going to talk about this. Maybe it's not one of those messages that you're going to walk away and be like, I know what I'm called to be for the rest of my life. Maybe it's not one of those messages, but it's really practical, and you're going to walk away and be like, I should probably apologize. I should probably go about this differently. Because listen, once again, let's bring it back to what I talked about in the beginning. This is one of the biggest reasons why people don't come to church. Because the church is full of hypocrites, they can't see their own sin, and they judge everybody. They condemn everybody. But if we start switching the branding of Calvary Chapel, switching the branding of Christianity at large to say we are a church all about God's grace, forgiveness, and love, I think that's a much better moniker to have. So I'm going to give you five practical applications. Five practical applications. Number one, loving others means addressing the speck. Loving others means addressing the speck. We've talked about this a little bit before in the beginning, but James chapter 5, verse 20 says this. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I know a lot of times what happens is you don't confront people, you don't talk about sin, you don't talk about faults, because you're like, yeah, it's not my business. You know, I'm not, it's not really my place to say anything. I know that person said something they shouldn't have said. I don't really, ah, I'm just not going to talk about it. But realize it's a loving thing to point out the speck. Just like we talked about bad breath, somebody who smells bad. It's a loving thing to point out the faults so that they can become more and more like Jesus. If they harden their heart, that's between them and God. But you possibly could save somebody from a world of hurt, pain, and sin. When you're hanging out with your friends and you notice just in the corner of your eye, they're on their Instagram or their Snapchat and they're looking at stuff they shouldn't be looking at, you have a choice. You call it out or you say something. A lot of people, they're like, yeah, well, I mean, like we all sin and we all make mistakes. I don't know. Or you could say in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of love, I want to just ask the question. And by you doing that, who knows if you address it in that moment, that might wake that person up and say, I'm never doing that ever again. I'm not looking at that thing ever again. I'm not, I'm not going to go down that road. Versus you not talk about it and that person 
continues and continues in their sin because no one's ever talked about it before. It's a blind spot in their life. That's why it's loving to somebody else to address the speck that's in their eye. Number two, practical application number two. This one's great. Know the difference between a speck and a plank. Know the difference between a speck and a plank. This one is so hard to practice because we have so much baggage. When we address somebody else's sin, we are loading on our entire past history on top of it. So when a friend flakes on us, suddenly it's like, you're just like everybody else, abandoning me. And you're like, dude, I just, I'm sorry. Like, my grandmother came into town. I don't know what else to tell you, right? It happens once, and we make the speck into a plank. But be very careful, because otherwise, you're going to combat it with undue kind of confrontation so that you condemn the person you go into it, and the person just completely has no idea why you're freaking out at them, right? You go about it the wrong way because you've completely made the speck into a plank. Maybe it's something like gossip. You've heard a rumor about you, and you haven't done the homework to find out, like, was this true? And you address that person right then and there, like, I knew it. I knew you're a gossiper. I knew that you're a liar. And they're like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I, I did say this one thing, but I, I totally, you know, I felt so bad about it. And you always feel terrible when you come into it, like, with, like, your swords, guns blazing, swords drawn, uh, depending on what era you're from. You come into it, <laughs> and you're so angry. And then you find out it's not a big deal at all. Aren't you embarrassed when that happens? This is why it's important to identify what kind of sin is this, what level of attention does, does it need? It also might be the reverse. You're talking to somebody, and you're treating it like not a thing. You're like, I know. You're kind of like sleeping around with like multiple people all the time. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let's, uh, you should stop that, right? Like, that's a huge deal. Maybe we should talk about this, you know? If somebody is on the verge of suicide, that's not a spec. You should talk about it with an adult. And you should love that person enough to say, you know what? I don't know if you're serious about this. I don't know if you're joking about this. But I don't want to make the mistake and think it's a speck when it's a plank. And then you're, you took your own life. It's important to know that distinction. So it's important to remember that oftentimes the human condition is this. In the Code of Hammurabi, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that was limiting because the human condition always wants to take out two eyes for one eye. The human condition wants to get back double. When someone says something about you, you want to make them pay. Right? That's why we need to identify that in our hearts and know how to address each and every sin appropriately. Number three, judge the act, not the heart. Judge the act, not the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 7 says this. The Lord said to Samuel when he was choosing a king, and he was looking at King David, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Super important that we remember that you can't see people's motivations. You can't see people's hearts. 
And that's usually what we do. I know what they're thinking. I know what their motivation is. And we do all this cycle analysis. But you have no definitive answer or proof that that's exactly what somebody's thinking. Next time that you're really mad at somebody, do me a favor and print out a graph with all of their thought process. Just do it. You know, like download from their brain, plug it in with the USB port that's in the back of their head, and then show me a graph and prove to me their motivations. You can't do it. None of us can, but God can. That's why our job is not to motivate the heart. Oh, judge the motivations or judge the heart. Our job is to judge the action. So I'm not, I, so you're addressing somebody and you're saying, I'm not questioning your motivation behind this. This is just how it came off and this is what you did. So I don't know where you're at with that, but that's what I see. So I'm calling it what it is. Really important that you do that. Because that's also really offensive, isn't it? When somebody tries to follow your thought process, which is completely wrong. But that's not our job. You just bring that before the Lord. Now, does that mean that we don't ever address the issues of the heart? The answer is no. We just don't claim to know it infallibly. So, for instance, this is what you do. So, it could be the case that somebody has some terrible motivations, and you don't want to just leave that completely undealt with. So you say this, listen, it seems like you're doing this. I would ask, I would really bring this before the Lord and ask the Lord to search your heart. Bring that before the Lord and say, like, is there any wicked way in me? I mean, that's, that's always a good thing to pray, right? But it's okay to actually say, let's make sure all of us have our heart in the right place when it pertains to this issue. Number four, know how to deal with frustration when correction is not well-received. Know how to deal with frustration when correction is not well-received. This one is really, really hard. But the proverb says, chapter 29, verse 11, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Also, James chapter 1, verse 19 says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When's the last time you've gotten really angry at someone and you told them off? And then, consequently, they became a really righteous person. When's the last time that happened? Like, you completely, like, told, you, like you cursed at them. You're like, well, it's righteous indignation. They deserved it, and you, like, give them the finger, right? And then after that, they're like, you're right. Oh, I'm going to go to my prayer closet tonight and beg for forgiveness. It's never going to happen. Why? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So when you have those moments of frustration, call it out in your heart and say, like, okay, I am getting frustrated. And you're praying in your heart, Lord, forgive me. Correct me because I see where this is going, and it's not good. Because realize, the more frustrated you get, the more angry you get, the more it's just going to lead to condemnation. It's not going to lead towards sanctification. It's not going to lead to that person wanting to know Jesus more. It's going to lead to them feeling more and more hurt. So, number five. Last one. Know the fruit of and the root of bitterness. This is also uh, linked up with the last one. But know the fruit and the root of bitterness. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I'll never forget mm, fourth grade, fifth grade. I remember being at a Christian school, and my teacher was ticked. She was mad at all of us. I look back at it now, since like I'm kind of like a teacher, you know. I look back at it now, and I could say like she just had no control of the classroom because she was a bad teacher, but it's not the case. Okay, I'm not going to say that. We were crazy people. That's what it comes down to. Like I literally, as a, a fifth grader, you could look at that and say like this is a terrible teacher. She has no control of the classroom. But you look back and like wow, we were terrible people, weren't we? We drove her insane. She got so mad at us that she left the classroom. Has that ever happened to you before? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about? Maybe I'm not alone. You're just like rowdy, and your classmates are just crazy, and she's like, I can't deal with this, and she like leaves in tears, you know, just storming out, and she doesn't come back. Like they have to get a different teacher to sit in the class. Like you've made your teacher that mad. And the next day, we had our class again, and we're all, you know, like hands folded, eyes forward, like what is going to happen? She's going to kill all of us. And she just comes in and quietly sits down, and goes about like nothing happened. And all of us were like waiting for it, waiting to get like smacked, you know? And she didn't do anything. And then we're like, uh, so are we gonna talk about what happened? And she said, no, I'm over it. She said, I've never let the sun go down on my anger. She says, anytime that I'm really mad at so about something, I give it to the Lord and the next day I'm fine. I'm like, that sounds crazy. I don't actually know too many people that do that. I don't know. Maybe she's just like really holy and really gifted. Most people don't know how to practice that. To not let the day end before you cast your cares to the Lord and say, I have this, you know, this bitter heart that's forming. I have this angry thought. I have all these things in my heart. And you just give it to God and say, Lord, I'm surrendering this because I don't want to go to bed angry. I don't want to go to bed bitter and wake up with that sense of still frustration. It's important that we learn to have that healthy habit of meeting with the Lord and just giving it all to him. Because of this, the verse says, when we are angry and then sin, and we let the root of bitterness grow, what does it do? It gives place to the devil. That's what it says. You're giving the devil a foothold in your life when you're bitter against another person. Why? Here's why. I've said this a couple times, but it's worth saying again. When you're bitter at somebody else, suddenly any sin that you do against them is justified. Because you feel like what they've done to you is so, so uh, vast and so crazy that nothing you ever do to them would ever compare to that sin. So you're justified in anything that you do. And that leads to all kinds of crazy sins that you never dreamed of doing. In fact, maybe even the same thing that the person did to you in the first place. So that's why most important thing for us to do, to just tie this all together and, and in closing, when we're frustrated, correction's not well received, or we have bitterness in our heart that we're identifying it, saying, you know what? When I lashed out, I actually was a lot more bitter than I thought. Like, are you bitter? No, totally not bitter. But you're like addressing the problem, not just because it's a sin, it's a speck, but you're actually mad at them. And identify that. Call it out. And then bring that to the Lord so that we're able to correctly help people. That's the goal. The goal should never be to put people down. It's to always lift people up.
which sounds counterintuitive. You would think addressing people's sin would always put people down. No, it's always to address it so they can continue climbing in their walk with Jesus. That's it. So, for you tonight, have you learned to put these things into practice? I would really highly recommend that if you took notes tonight, but even if you didn't, you can listen to it on the, the podcast later. Um, I would highly recommend to review this at a later time, maybe later tonight, later in the week, and then just pray this as a list. Lord, can you teach me what it looks like to actually examine myself before I go and judge other people? Can you teach me what it looks like to not condemn people, but to just convict, to address the speck? Can you teach me, Lord, what it means to judge the action and not the heart, to deal with the frustration the proper way? Because that, if you get that, man, you're going to be such a loving person. People are going to see Jesus all throughout your life if we can just focus on that. So that was my challenge. That is my exhortation, and hopefully uh, the Lord can do something with that in your life. Let's pray.